Good morning and welcome to West Seattle Christian Church. If you're new, welcome. If not, welcome back. And uh, before I get too far ahead of myself, if you haven't listened or watched last week's sermon, I encourage you to do that. Go back and uh, do that now so that what we cover today is going to make a lot more sense, so that it makes more sense to you. Um, you're basically jumping in halfway if you're just starting with today. And also, I strongly encourage you uh, to tune in next week as the man who's behind the camera, who's normally behind the camera, he's going to take center stage next week and be in front of the camera. So don't miss my good friend Barry Swindon as he shares his story with you and how it intertwines with several of the truths that we've encountered in this Unqualified series. Now, let's dive in. Uh, scripture, again, the same as last week from Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Uh, this section of scripture that comes from Isaiah 53, I just I like it so much, and I'm reading it to you for a second uh, week in a row now because it's a reminder to me in our day and age of how and why so many people take Jesus for granted in so many ways. Last week, we sprinted through marvel after marvel in history, things that have happened that are directly linked back to the person of Jesus and his first followers. Everything from health care and education to the intrinsic value of children and women and the pursuit of rationality and science, all of these can trace their roots back to the person of Jesus. And this week, as we complete our Unqualified series, I'd like to wrap it up by having us remember the social impact of Jesus and, uh, and the impact in that way that he had on our world. Last week, we just brushed the surface, really, by talking about addictions. Uh, and I want to go a bit deeper this time. Remember that story, uh, if you're familiar, when Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, trying to get there before nightfall, and uh, he and his disciples are hurrying towards the city, and all of a sudden they hear a voice, Jesus, help me, I'm blind. And the disciples are like, shh, he's busy, he's busy, he's going somewhere. But Jesus, he turns and he responds to blind Bartimaeus. And in that moment, he changes the position of the disabled and the disadvantaged. And he shows us how to value and how to care uh, people who are hurting. They arrive in another instance right after that. They arrive at the house with their feet all dirty. And they're like, where's the boy? I can see his disciples kind of saying, where's the kid? Where's the, where's the servant who's supposed to be washing our feet? We're dirty. You know, this is supposed to happen. And what happens? Jesus takes the bowl and he washed their feet. And from that moment, he transforms the way that generations of Jesus followers will think about serving others and doing the menial tasks, things that are behind the scenes that need to be done that serve other people. 
that story where a woman is literally caught in the very act of adultery and they bring her before Jesus. You know the story. And Jesus says, where are they? And she says, nowhere, Lord. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And in that moment, Jesus shows that there is no condemnation for those who come to him for forgiveness and restoration. And he could change hearts. Crowds of followers in one story are basically worshiping him. They're all surrounding him at one point. And he looks up in a tree and he sees a tiny little mob boss, a cheat, a traitor to his people. And Jesus in that moment showed that even for those who think that they are too far gone, even for those people rejected, isolated, alienated, he gives them hope. There is a new start. There are the open arms of Jesus to come to. Jesus, through uh, inspired Christ followers, actually changed political theory. Yeah, even that. You heard that right. And human rights. He shaped our understanding of justice. These words, for example, from a familiar document, maybe it's familiar to some of you. Let's see if you remember it. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and have been endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Where did Thomas Jefferson get that idea? The idea that all are created equal and valuable and with certain rights. It was certainly not evident. That kind of thinking was not evident to the Romans or the Vikings or the Nazis or those at the top of the caste system. It came from an idea that all people, the blind, the leper, the lame, every race, every gender have been created by a good God in his image and they are loved by him. And it was his spirit who inspired these words. Jesus' spirit inspired these words in Galatians 3. There is now neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave or free, but all are one in Christ Jesus. Where? Before the church, where before Jesus did that kind of thinking ever happen? Before Jesus, there had never been the idea of a community like that, like this. Search the ancient documents of Rome and Greece, the ancient world. You will not find it. This here in Galatians 3 is the first ever anywhere recorded expression of egalitarianism. The idea that all have equal dignity and equal worth. You can take it further. The love of enemies. You don't find that anywhere else in the ancient world. Nobody was saying anything like that. Not Zeus, not Baal, not Odin, not Shiva, Rama, Ganesha, Krishna, Vishnu, not Ra. None of them. None of this said that. The idea that there is a God of love? My goodness, where did that come from? Only from one man, Jesus. And as if that wasn't enough, it's not an exaggeration to say that he brought into being the most influential movement of all time. Imagine no worldwide Catholic church. Imagine no Orthodox church, no Church of England, no independent churches, no house church in China, 
no Peter, no Paul, no Aquinas, no Augustine, no St. Francis, no Martin Luther, no Joan of Arc, no Mother Teresa, no Martin Luther King Jr. This movement, which by all rights and expectations, it should have died with him. 2,000 years later, here we still are. There's two point something billion of us on this planet. What can we say of this man, Jesus? He is the hinge of history. He is the greatest teacher who ever lived, the greatest mind who ever thought, the greatest leader the world has ever seen. He alone mastered life. He alone conquered death. He alone destroyed guilt and shame. He was a man of sorrows for our sakes. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Son of God. He is the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. He's amazing. He's the greatest change agent of all time. Nothing is too difficult for him. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the kings and queens that have ever ruled, all the congresses that have ever sat have not affected or benefited the life of women and men on this planet as powerfully and as profoundly as this one man. And the question that this leaves us with is, how did he do it? How in the world did he do it? And I want to give you a few implications, observations to wrap this up. How did he do it? Well, first, when he left, he didn't leave us alone. He said, I'll send you a helper and a comforter. He said, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. Why? So that you can be my representatives to carry forward the work that I've begun. Secondly, he didn't leave us empty-handed. He gave us his gospel, the good news. And seriously, when you, I mean, think about it this way. When you, when you survey the grandeur, when you go outside and you look at the view you get here in West Seattle, the Olympic Mountains or Mount Rainier or the San Juan Islands, or if you go and visit any other beautiful place in the forest, the beach, Hawaii, the Grand Canyon, uh, Moab, anything like that, or just a beautiful sunset, it can take you aback leave you a bit breathless. You might think, you've probably thought, how could this even have been made by man? Is it just chance? No way. It's too beautiful. It's too amazing. And when you survey the grandeur of the gospel, maybe you don't think about it like that, but when you survey it, the grace, the undeserved kindness that God bestows on us, that he allowed himself to be a man of sorrows who was despised and rejected, wounded for our sins, for your sins, for my sins, that his sufferings are the makings of our very healing that we need, that he redeems your life and my life from darkness and despair. When you look at the gospel of Jesus and you really stare and wonder at the grandeur of it, of the story, you know deep down that this is not something that man could make up. I mean, Paul. that's why Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the very power of God for the salvation to all who have faith. 
Thirdly, and very, very importantly, before he left, Jesus showed us what love is. I don't think we would have a clue what love is if it weren't for Jesus showing up and demonstrating for us and then all of his followers innovating on that in so many myriad ways throughout the centuries. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than to lay their life down for their friend. And then he said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And he taught us, with all you are, love God, love one another, love your enemies. This is why we have things like this that we can point to as examples in history where people are looking at the life of Jesus and they are utterly amazed. Napoleon writes, I know man, and I tell you that Jesus is no mere man. Between him and every other person, there is no possible comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I founded empires, but on what did we risk the foundations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions would die for him. I search in vain in history to find anyone similar to Jesus. My friends, we have his spirit. We have his gospel. We have received his love, the love of the most powerful change agent of all time. And you know what? He is still recruiting. He is still recruiting change agents. Let's take a pause for a second. I started this uh, portion of the series on Jesus last week by saying you can't make this up. You know, if if you were Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and you were making it up, just think for a moment, what would you choose as the first miraculous sign to start presenting Jesus to your audience? Something pretty strong, you know, like maybe like walking on water or raising somebody from the dead. But that wasn't what it was. What was it? What was the first miraculous sign? If you were making this up, you would not in a million years choose the thing that Jesus did as the thing that declares who he is. What he does is he basically just helps some people from being socially embarrassed because they've run out of wine. Why would any of these authors pick that? You'd never pick that, honestly. What does John put uh, right at the front end? I, I'll tell you why he did, because it was the very first miracle. Why does John put it there? Because it was exactly what Jesus did. It was the very first miracle. So he's like, that's the way it happened. That's the way I'm going to tell it. Another reason is because it's full of signs, but... We talked about that earlier this year in our I Am series. So you can check that out online last spring. But Jesus, in that moment, Jesus transforms gallons upon gallons of water into gallons upon gallons of wine, the choicest wine. He is the ultimate joy bringer. He turns a failing, flat, boring party, a party that people are kind of like trying to, sneak out of into a phenomenal party. Jesus is the one who will turn the water of your life into wine. He's the most powerful change agent of all time. And he's still recruiting change agents, people like you, people like me, who carry his spirit and his gospel and his love within them and are eager to take forward his mission of changing the world. One moment, 
one conversation, one loving act, one relationship, one person at a time. So the question is, will you carry with you his spirit, his gospel, and his love? Is that you? Is that you? Or are you feeling a bit unqualified? I hope by now after this series that you know you are qualified. If your heart right now is open to Jesus to be used, you qualify. He said it. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I hope you're convinced by now that Jesus changed the world, but he did it through people like you. Will you change the world just, just a little bit by your words, by your acts of love, by your living a distinctive Christian life? You know, one of the best things, that, that phrase, distinctive Christian life, that reminds me about what one of the best parts of being part of a church is for me, is that I get to see all these people's hearts and lives and circumstances that have been transformed and changed by Jesus, who've received the baton, you know, we didn't get to watch the Olympics this year, hopefully next year, but you, you receive the baton and the next runner takes it. We get to carry a gospel baton. We get to pass it on. Many people have put it this way before, but do you know how close the church is to extinction, to being non-existent? The answer is one generation. And um, we say that, some people say that like it's a new thing. In actuality, that's what it has always been. The church has always been one generation next to extinction. If this generation does not pass on the baton, that'll be the end of it. So like Jesus, will you be a change agent, a gospel carrier, someone who loves distinctively as a Christian, not just a passive receiver of grace? When Jesus encountered people, he changed the trajectory of their lives. And Jesus in you can do that. Without question, this unqualified carpenter changed the world. But at face, what did he change? He changed hearts. He changed people. And they changed the world because of him. And you can be a part of that. The only question is, do you want to be a part of that? And if you do, he can do that through you if you're willing.